What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Actually, me and Miguel were the only prospects to be able to get invited to Big League Camp. And it got down to the last week of Big League Camp, and me and Miggy are looking at each other like, man, I'm number 77, but I might make this damn team. You know what I mean? Hey there, Baseball America podcast listeners. Kyle Banduho here, host of our interview series here at Baseball America, From Phenom to the Farm. If you've never listened, the podcast is over on its own feed, and every other Tuesday, we talk to a former professional baseball player about their journey from amateur ball all the way on up through the professional ranks. Reason we're here on this feed today is because our most recent episode, we're talking to a guy who needs no introduction, who all baseball fans are a fan of, a former big league all-star, Dontrell Willis. Comes as no surprise to anyone who was a fan of his during his playing career or his current career as an analyst, Dontrell makes for a great conversation. Wanted to bring it here to the BA feed. Not many players in baseball history have hit superstardom as fast as Dontrell. He went from double-A prospect to essentially a household name in baseball circles in about a two-month span back on that 2003 Marlins team that would end up winning the World Series. We talk about learning to deal with that fame, uh, getting back his love for baseball a bit later in his career after baseball had knocked him down a little bit, and then, of course, had to break down his iconic windup and his batting stance. Dontrell had just... The, that big old leg kick, huge fan. Uh, so this is a great conversation. Hope everyone enjoys it. If you haven't checked out From Phenom to the Farm before, we're nearly 50 episodes deep. We've had World Series winners. We've had you know guys who spent nearly a decade in indie ball. First round picks, 42nd round picks, guys who played in the College World Series, and guys who never made it to campus. If you enjoy this, you know, this conversation with Don Trell, Go check out our backlog. It's you know it's all at pretty evergreen. Episodes come out every two weeks. Subscribe so you can get the next one. Uh, without further ado, let's talk to Dontrell Willis. Joining in for today's episode from Phenom the Farm, he was an eighth round pick of the Cubs in the 2000 draft. Former big league All Star Dontrell Willis. Dontrell, thanks so much for joining us from Phenom to the Farm. Ah, uh, not a problem. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to, man. I've been following you on Instagram, and I know you got you're staring at a tea time right now. What is the best course you've played lately? You know, I, I've been blessed, very blessed to play. You know, I live in Arizona full time, so I played West Rock, Scottsdale National. I'm a member at DC Ranch, which is a beautiful course. It's all first world problems up here, you know what I mean? But uh, you know, I just enjoy going out there and then trying to get a couple of birdies and getting the hell out of there. Yeah, y'all have quite the little MLB alumni alumni yeah. group out there. Uh, we had uh, we had Barry Enright on the podcast a while back, and I know he can. Uh, that's I know my he dog. Can swing the sticks. That's, that's my dog. He's one of my best friends, and he's. Uh, I like to tell people he's uh, obnoxiously good. Like it's really disrespectful how good he is. And I, I joke with him all the time. I say, "Man, you're a better golfer than you ever was a pitcher." So he's that good, but he's fun to watch and a hell of a guy. 
You search him on Google now. It says pro golfer. Doesn't say. Uh, <laughs> doesn't say former former big league baseball player. Absolutely. Um, let's roll into let's roll into your career going back yeah. to your your amateur high school days. When did you first realize you had a, a future at the next level and why baseball for you? I've seen you pitch, I've seen you hit. You're an athlete. Uh, you know, to be honest, uh it's it's actually a funny story, but uh the one time I had detention, uh Mr. Horwitz in my whole life for missing a class and uh it was right around uh, probably like 2 weeks before the draft and um our whole school was making a big buzz about it. You know I mean? And, and to, you know, a 17 year old, it's just whirlwind to you. You know what I mean? You just want to get a box pizza and some, some cookies, you know, that's your life day to day. You know what I mean? And I didn't realize I could be a professional or be good at it until Mr. Horrid said, you know, he's like, I'm not a big fan of sports, but everybody is making a big deal about you either going to college or getting drafted and going professionally. He's like, man, you could always go to college, man. I think you should go for your dreams. And this is coming from a man that really doesn't like sports. And as I'm writing out, I, I hate detention on my paper right now. <laughs> right now. Like it kind of dawned on me at that moment, like, Hey, you know, maybe I could, you know, have a, have a career playing professional baseball. So it was just a weird thing that hit at that moment. And I said, Hey, I'm going to give it a go. So got to talk about the delivery, the fame delivery. The lore <laughs> is that you learned it from your mom. When, when we saw we as we as a baseball fan of public, what we saw that debuted in the big leagues when you were 21, right. is that what it always looked like? Or are there certain iterations, certain changes you made? You know what? Um, I, I'm built like a rake in the sense of my, my butts on my shoulder. Like I can get my wallet over my back pocket, over my shoulder right here, you know, but uh, it's just, you know, I've always been a gangly guy, you know what I mean? And I always, you know, Dennis Eckersley was a hero of mine, you know, and I, and I grew up in the heydays of the, the A's and the Giants being good, you know, battle of the Bay, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a young boy. So I, I've been blessed to, to, to witness great baseball and hall of fame type baseball, but I've always had the late kick. I've always had the, Deception, you know, I've always had life with it, but I think as I got in the pros being hyped up, I think the leg kick got a little higher and higher <laughs> to the point where a confidence you know, leg a, kick. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it was something that I've always thrown it, and it's always been quirky and it always gave hitters fits. So when you signed with the Cubs, though, how many times, if ever, did you get approached by someone in the organization, someone a pitching coach, or someone in the Marlins organization when you got dealt, right. and be like, "Hey, nice delivery, but let's let's change that"? Did you have to? Was uh, there any like pushback of staying in within yourself on that? To be honest, it was so messed up they didn't even know where to begin. <laughs> to be honest with you, they would just look and they just and 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 on top of my funky delivery, like you can ask anybody that's ever played with me, like my ball moves everywhere. So it's like I don't even know where to begin with this kid, but he's athletic. He he loves to compete, and you know he 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 competes in the strike zone. So it, it was one of those things where it was a really really gigantic Rubik's cube of mess. But uh, they also they also like my athleticism and my competitiveness. So I I could count probably a hundred pitching coaches and farm directors. Like we don't know what the hell's going on with this kid's <laughs> leg kick, but he's consistent. And if you break down my windup slowly, I I've, I've done a good job of just getting into power positions to where you look at it. It's like, okay, that seems normal. Is this the leg kick that we're getting, you know, mesmerized by? Yeah, I mean that's the thing that like even even growing up with all these instructors and stuff, it's like you can do whatever you you know whatever you got to do, but you just got to get to certain positions pitching or hitting. And speaking right. of, speaking of hitting and something mechanical, I texted a buddy of mine and I was like, "Hey, man, Dontrell Willis coming on the podcast," and he didn't say anything about pitching. He said, "Oh, old daddy hack." So. <laughs> 
the uh, in high school, were you were you bringing your leg up to your hip before you swung? It swung out. Actually, actually, my leg kick and, and Jeff Conine, a, a hero of mine, uh, absolutely uh, awesome teammate. You know, between the swing velocity and the backswing, almost a recoil was just as fast, if not faster. But I always just love being on the field, man. I was a kid where I was a field rat. Like you always saw me at the park playing basketball or flag football or or playing strikeout. You just always saw it. So you know, I just always trusted my athleticism. And in, in my senior year, I hit six twenty nine. So that you know, a couple of scouts were like, maybe he can handle the bat. And I was like, nah, you don't want to see me in the outfield catching fly balls. That's another debacle. But you know. Um, I always like I always loved handle the bat and I always just loved uh, just being part of the game and I guess like you hear like some people are American League guys or some guys are National League guys I think I've always been a National League guy in that sense yeah yeah uh, I mean clearly you look at look at your batting line so you get into pro ball you get drafted by the Cubs you're out in you're out in the the AZL a little bit your first season but you're right you're I guess you're year after getting drafted you got the short season got the Boise what is mm-hmm. different about that first season in pro ball and short season than than any other season you have in your career? Like, how much do you have to learn? Like, how much catch up is there that's never really a problem in other seasons because you've already done it? It, it it's catch up every season, and that's the cool thing about baseball. You know, it's kind of like golf. You're always learning something. You're always learning nuances, whether it be mechanically, physically, mentally. You know, it's a grind for guys and the talent level. Like, it seems like every time you pass a level in 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 Sonic the Hedgehog, it gets harder and harder and the talent gets better and better and you're seeing guys like I remember being in a ball and seeing Carlos Zambrano and Mark Pryor in double a and thinking like I'm never going to make it to the big leagues this is what double a baseball is because they're just so talented but you know you learn how to just get stronger and lift weights and eat a little better like you know as much as I love jack in the box you know you have to be you know a little more in tune to your nutrition this generation I think they understand the strength of that that's the difference now but uh you know it, it, it was fun just learning nuances learning how to scout learning how your your pitches affect the hitters and stuff because Everyone said I threw the hardest 89 you've ever seen in your life. Like it just had life and explosion. So it, it's just cool to learn the nuances of the game and, and, and doing every, whatever it takes to get to the big leagues. So as you get into that professional lifestyle too, it, it was just announced this, this coming year is going to be the first year that MLB organizations are covering housing for their minor leaguers. Right. Back in the early 2000s, what was your, what was your situation in those first in Kane County and in, in Jupiter and Carolina? Oh, my God. A lot of uh, care packages sent by families, uh, jackets, like cup of noodles. I remember so vividly, like anybody that got a care package and it'd be this huge box and it like, you know, guys would have top ramen and gummy bears and like throwing them around. You know, it's a true, true grind down there in the minor leagues. And thank God for the host family situations. You know I mean? I'm still friends and tight with the host families I had in King County and in the Boise, Idaho as well. Like just opening their arms and their doors and just being a fan of baseball and taking in these kids that you basically don't know when you get to learn about the nuances of the things they're going through so you know god bless those families that are doing that but it is a total grind every time i buy a cup of noodles for my kids i get a little smile like you know because I, i've been through it i know how the hot water works and i know the levels and everything but it's what i think it teaches you hard work and perseverance because in the major leagues the season and the grind is so long so there's no institute in the world like the minor leagues Listen, cup of noodles and ramen gets a bad rap, but that's that's still uh, a good It gets meal. a very bad rap. It gets a very bad rap. You get that spicy chicken with some crackers, baby, it tastes like steak. I mean, most tastes of the wonderful. time, but we'll see. Yeah, tastes absolutely. Wonderful. 
So you you have some success your first two years in the Cubs system, to, to say the least, so much so that you're regarded well enough to be one of the main prospect pieces in a trade, Matt Clement, Antonio Alfonseca going to Chicago, you head over to the Marlins organization. We've had guys who usually deals involving prospects are in the offseason or it, it, you know trade deadline, something like that, getting traded towards the end of spring training. You know, what's it like when you, you think you're breaking camp and, and, you know, with a certain organization then suddenly you're having to revamp everything you do and you've, you've got all these, you know, these new people around you. Craziest thing during that trade, uh, in the spring training, guys are getting released. So just the energy around the locker room is getting a little tense because, you know, I mean, you don't want to, you know, you have your little mini Joe Boo out there hoping you don't get a name sticker in your locker. I mean, it's really like that. So the day of the trade, three of my roommates get released and I get traded, you know, so it's just a shell shock of a situation. And when you're a little kid, I mean, you're a kid, you're a child, you know I mean? You're a young man, but you're a child. It's just really hard to just receive it. The next day I'm at uh, Cocoa beach in Florida, never been to Florida, never been on that side of the country ever. And this is like, man, like my new teammates, it's almost kind of like you, you, uh, you go to a new school your senior year of high school, you know what I mean? <laughs> trying to make friends, trying to fit in, and this, you know, proving to everybody this new organization that you belong. So, but it was whirlwind, but it was actually a blessing in disguise. So that 03 season, you start out in double A Carolina, you and Miggy down in mm, down in double A yeah. Carolina. You're there early on, you're pretty lights out. You you essentially you haven't had an ERA over two in almost a year at that point. Did you when, when you're in double A, did you have the chance to think like, why am I not in the big leagues right now? Or were you still like working on stuff like, ah, there's something I got to do before I get there. Is it just like, when am I getting that call? No, nah, it was just competing and staying there. <laughs> it, it wasn't anything about, you know, uh, uh, when am I going to get in the big leagues? But the funny thing about that was, uh, you know, the, the spring training before that, I got invited to big league camp. It, actually, me and Miguel were the only prospects to be able to get invited to big league camp. And it got down to the last week of big league camp and me and Miggy are looking looking at each other like, man, I'm number 77, but I might make this damn team. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I remember I struck out Barry Larkin and he comes walking down and I think he's going to just berate me. And he's like, you're going to make it to the big leagues, man. You just continue to work. So fast forward into the double A season. We had a really, really good team in, in Zebulon, North Carolina. Obviously, Miguel Cabrera is in the beginning of his Hall of Fame path, hitting almost like 500. And so I'm just riding his coattail at that. I was smart enough to know that if I'm going to stick with this guy right here, he's going to take me to, to, to bigger and better things. But we were a competitive group with each other. We were a competitive group uh, playing other teams. And, and just the talent level was really outstanding. But I felt like, you know, if I continue on this path, I'll have a good chance of making it to the big leagues. Well, walk me through getting that call then. Oh, man. Um, off day in Orlando, whole team is gathered about 300 bucks. So we got uh, Natty Ice beer. Great beer. but uh, I, Man, <laughs> I will ride hard for Natty Ice. I mean, Natty, Natty Ice good, right man. now might kill me, but at 21, yeah. Natty Ice is a fine <laughs> beverage. Absolutely. My liver was young enough for that. And, you know, like I said, we were a very, very close-knit team. Uh, Randy Messenger was my roommate at the time. And uh, – He's like, man, your phone keeps ringing. And I, I don't know if I was in Miguel's room or somebody else's room uh, in Kissimmee, but he's like, man, your phone, phone keeps ringing. So finally, Brad Penny, who had my number during Big League camp, calls me. It's like, hey, man, you know, they're looking for you right now. And I'm like, you know, my heart's just racing because you don't know what the hell's going on. You know what I mean? And so they tell me they're going to call me up. And, and I literally just my heart just dropped because, you know, 
at that moment, you realize that, you know, every, you're living every childhood kid's dream. And now you get to play amongst the best in the world. So, you know, I didn't have any money on me. I probably had 40 bucks. So I had to ask my friends for some money because <laughs> I, I literally was starving. And next thing you know, I'm literally on a crop duster going all the way from Orlando to Miami. And I remember the, the plane shook so much. I was like, please, just don't, just, just, give me to, just give me to Southport. I just want to throw one pitch in the big leagues. But I will say this, um, the coolest thing about being called up is, all of my teammates were sincerely happy for me, including Miguel. And I remember Miguel telling me, like, and I tell everybody this, he says, I'm coming. I'm going to be messed, Negro. I'm coming. And I said, oh, trust me, man. I think they got the wrong person on this call up, brother. But, uh, yeah, I know you're coming. But everybody was sincerely happy for me, and that was the coolest part about it. Yeah, he, he joined you pretty soon after. So mm-hmm. settling into the big league team, that's a team that is is a lot, lot of vets, a lot of guys who have a lot of service time. Um, you're a, you're 21. You're a young black guy from California. Your manager is a 72 year old guy from New Jersey (laughs) who got there like right before you did. How did you mesh with Jack McKeon? Trainer Jack is, I mean, he's forgotten more baseball than most of us can remember ever. I mean, he's managed everyone. I think, I think I saw something where he's managed 3% of anybody that's played baseball ever or something like something crazy, but uh, he was a man that 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 understood hard work and appreciated that. And I was always a kid that loved to work hard. You know, that's where my confidence came. So we hit it off tremendously. He was like the uh, the grandfather that really just told me how to do things right. You know, don't do this, do this, work hard, be a great teammate. So we mesh we mesh very very well. I remember one time though he came to get me off the mound and I missed his hand giving him the ball. And he came in there and he grabbed me and that 75 year old man turned into a 24 year old man. And I said, and he saw tears in my eyes because I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I was just so frustrated about the outing. You know what I mean? My mind was elsewhere and he grabbed my arm and I was like, man, I felt like my grandfather grabbing me. So he was definitely in tune with the current ways of the game and stuff like that. And he, he could relate to everybody. So you're called up May 9th by June 30th. You're in sports illustrated. You go from April, really only like prospect heads, people yeah. who read Baseball America knew who you were, to by the All-Star break, you're you're one of the most famous players in baseball. I'm 12 at that time, and it's like Barry and you. On the field, obviously, you handled <laughs> things well. Like, you know, great, great year. What was the experience like off the field? When was the first time you realized you were a legit famous person? Because a lot of baseball players can walk through life. Even like Mike right. Trout can walk down the street and – pretty normally but yeah i i you know you don't really it was it was outer body especially in miami and then the turn of the ball club that's what i cared about more so than anything if you could ask any of my teammates that i didn't like any of that d train stuff i didn't like the conductor hats i didn't like any of it because i i felt like it singled me out like i hate you could ask anybody that played with me i hate it when people call me d train at that time like i just i don't take compliments well uh, you know, I mean, I've always been that guy, and 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 I thank God for Juan Pierre and Derek Lee. And, and those guys put their arm around me and, and really just taught me the ropes of just working hard, showing up, being a good teammate. But it's whirlwind because it, you know, I feel a lot of honor saying that once I got called up and Miguel call, got called up, the Marlins got pushed to the national scale as far as like, hey, this team, this team's for real. And then you just saw the fans come from you know, 8,000 to 20,000 to 30,000. It was traffic into the field. It's like, what the hell is going on? Like, we're just not used to this. Like, you know what I mean? So 
that was cool to be a part of that. But to see the conductor hats and the D chain and people doing a leg kick, it, it just made me laugh, man, because it's like, I can't believe this is happening to me right now. What's the learning curve like picking the brain of you got Pudge as your catcher, you got a rotation right. that's it's a young rotation, but it's like Pavano, Redmond, Josh Beckett. Like, what's that that first year learning curve like when you're figuring out big league hitters how to you know how to go about your business? Well, the the first thing is, and it was easy for me to be myself because I don't throw a hundred, and at the time, you know, Josh Beckett throw a hundred, AJ Burnett throw a hundred, Brad Penny throw a hundred, these corn fed guys that this 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 ripped it at guys and threw breaking balls at 90 miles an hour. A lot of the stuff you see today, but the one thing they loved uh, kind of sandwiching me in between is it's a different look. You know what I mean? A lefty, a guy that's deceptive, you know what I mean? Doesn't mind throwing inside. But the one thing I learned from all those guys is you have to establish the inner half because at that time, you know, bombs was hitting bombs. Like the ball was flying out of the ballpark, kind of the end of that era, if you will, you know what I mean, where everybody's hitting 20, 30 home runs. But, uh, you know, it, it was something that I learned. Throw strikes, uh, work efficiently, keep your defense on the toes, which, I mean, we have one of the best defenses in all of baseball. So especially how hot it is, you don't want your fielder standing out there all damn day. So, <laughs> so throw strikes, attack the zone, and really just be competitive. Did uh did Dusty Baker do you dirty in the 03 All-Star game? He <laughs> And that's a great question. And every time I see him, he I bring it up and he cussed me out every time I bring it up. But and it no, 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 listen. Uh Billy Wagner was warming up next to me and and I thought about it for a second and it's like if you would put in Dontre Willis or Big Billy Wagner train, who would you put in? I I chose Billy Wagner my damn self. So I put in a glorified bullpen and just sled it a little bit, and, and, and Billy went out there and got him. But uh, no, nah, he didn't do me dirty. I enjoyed it just being around those guys. What was something your second round and the second time going to the All Star game in 05 that you made sure to do that you might not have done in in 03? Besides, just pitch. get in the game. Just get in the game, <laughs> and, and it's so funny because he never lets it down, but. Mark Teixeira hits a home run off me. And, you know, it's an all-star game. I'm being aggressive. Here it is. It, it, we're just having fun. But the one th cool thing was I got to play uh, on the field beside uh, Jimmy Rollins, the guy I grew up with uh, in Alameda, California. So that was cool for our families to see each other. And I got him a double play ball. But, you know, Mark Teixeira hits a home run off me. And then after the game, I see my mother hugged up with them. And it's like, if you can't add insult to injury and Mark never lets it go. Every time I see Mark to share, he always gives me about it, but a hall of fame, obviously type player. He's on the ballot this year, but just to get in the game and experience that and see the joy of all the families. And, and, and it's a true honor to say that, um, you can say we were once one of the best in the world. So that run up to the 03 World Series, you get some starts in the postseason. It goes to the the World Series itself against the Yankees, right. and you find out how did you how did you respond internally when you were you know found out you're not going to start? You're in the bullpen. Oh, I was fine because I was terrible. <laughs> like that's one thing. That's one thing that you know anybody that's played with me, even my golf swing. Like I'm I'm brutally honest about my play and myself. Uh, I, I don't mind it, you know, you know, and if you want to be good at something, you kind of have to be your hardest critic and be honest with yourself. So I remember we were finally flying to New York and Jack never walks on the plane. He's walking on the plane. So everyone's like, what the hell is Jack doing? And so he comes right up to me and he tells me on the plane, we want you to switch Posada to the right side and you have Giambi. And I'm like, he's like, train, if you don't get it together, we don't win this World Series. And 
it's kind of a flight or flight, uh, flight or fight situation where it's like, do you feel sorry or you like, or do you welcome that challenge? And I felt like I welcomed that challenge. Didn't also feel like I was really going to factor in the game. And sure enough, I'm in game one. <laughs> right out of the bullpen in a tough situation. But I appreciate Jack and the staff continuing to believe in me to give me that situation to the to, to play better and give us a chance to win. So when he tells you that, like you're like, okay, you you know right away, like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a right-handed Posada and then I've got Giami. Do you start then suddenly like are you game planning those at bats in your head until you actually get to the game or is it just situation, you know, depends on the situation. I, I mean as a twenty one year old, you're going to Yankee Stadium and you're 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 playing in the World Series. It's like, man, I just hope I don't lose my luggage, man. Like this is this this, this is this a, a whole it, you you can't fathom like you're, you're looking at the Yankees and the Monument Park and just everything, all the videos they're playing and Yogi Berra and all these guys are there. And it's just, it's just a surreal moment. But once the game started, yeah, I started to focus on the situation. And even if you're not in the game during the postseason, you're grinding every pitch, every bat. I mean, I'm grinding as an analyst now watching the postseason. So if you're involved in it, and I'll never forget when the phone rang in the bullpen, everybody's heart stops. It gets silent. It's a weird thing, man. Everyone gets silent. And all of a sudden they say, Willis. And I, I, my first response was like, what? <laughs> I literally said, what? And they're like, you got to hurry. I spit all my sunflower seeds out of my mouth. And I literally put my hat on, my, my cleats untied. I go out there. I warm up in the bullpen and I don't throw one pitch close. Not one pitch close close it's like I'm bouncing fastball and all of a sudden Jack comes out of bullpen and points down and I'm like oh my goodness like this is happening you know what I mean this is happening I finally get to play in the World Series game and running out of that bullpen which seemed like a mile and a half at the, from left field the only thing I could think of was please don't trip and fall there's 80 million people watching not the hitters not the situation I'm just thinking as a 21 year old kid don't trip and fall get to the mound and Jack, he's like, looks around. He's like, well, go get him, Train. And I was like, that's the most you can say? <laughs> like, I need to remember the Titans speech right now. You know what I mean? Like, I need some motivation. But, you know, I went in there and, and, and got the job done. So it was really, really fun to just be a part of some, something like that and playing amongst the best in the world. So how did your offseason change that year from your previous offseasons? Now you are your big leaguer, your D-Train, your World Series champion. Right. What was different about that winner? Well, I, I, you know, when I came back home, I was still sleeping on my mom's couch as a World Series winner. So that had to change. You know, I mean, I finally got an apartment with my um, best friend, uh, Mazani Franklin. And it was just surreal, man. Like everywhere we went, being from the Bay Area, we went to Dave and Buster's. Everyone just went nuts. And it was just surreal. Like even my friends that I've known all my life, I could tell they kind of looked at me different. Like this fool is really a professional athlete that just won the World Series. And the coolest thing that happened that night was like, we're at Dave and Buster's and, you know, and I, I'm chilling with all my friends and it had to be like 20 of us. And, you know, all of a sudden they have that sports illustrated commercial where you can buy the book and, you know, the Marlins world series champion and they show highlights of me and they just go ape. And it's just, it's just, you know, like I said, you know, it's outer body, but you know, the whole time I'm just thanking the Lord, just to be a part of it and I, and I can take care of my family and stuff, but I definitely had to get my ass off that couch. <laughs> mom's house that's what happened got it got to get got to get your own yeah, place absolutely. so two years later 05 you win 22 games you're second in Cy Young voting seven complete games five shutouts that wasn't that long ago we might not ever see just those numbers ever again you're at the peak of your powers at that point 
in retrospect, do you wish you'd been handled kind of like guys are handled now, you know, being worked a little less hard? Like, how do you look back on, on those numbers? Because you, from the moment you got in the minors, you were an innings eater. You yeah. led the Northwest League in, in innings your first year. Um, no, no. Um, I believe in the Lord and, and he has a path for all of us, you know, whether it be, you know, good, bad or indifferent. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Now it's a little tough to fade the ball when you can't bend your elbow straight, <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, I, I always knew that that's how I was going to be successful by being out there and, and pitching a lot of innings and being that type of weapon to, to help our bullpen, especially in Miami where, you know, we had a lot of short starts. Our bullpen were taxed. Like, they really leaned on me to be like, Trank can handle the workload. Even if he falls behind, I, he can go eight innings and, and he can go seven innings and really shorten the ball game for us. So, no, I, I don't I – don't, I don't wish anything different in my career, good or bad. You know I mean? That's how I made my money. And, and, and I don't, I think at that time, the era in the minor leagues, they were teaching guys to be able to go deep in ball games. Like it wasn't any of this, you know, four innings, five innings, you know, pitch count things. It was the pitch count of getting yourself up to a hundred pitches and that's your ball game. So it was still kind of that old school mentality of like, you go as deep as you can and then we'll make up for the rest. But now it's a different ball game. Also in, in 2005, you're the first black pitcher to win 20 games since Dave Stewart. In that era, you've got you, there's Barry Bonds, Jimmy Rollins, CeCe. There's been, even since you've broken in, there's been a decline in the number of black players right. in Major League Baseball. It's down almost 4% since you, just since you broke into baseball, You know, down more than that since like 91. Where do you see where MLB, the sport itself, the sport of baseball itself is failing or can make up some ground in keeping that talent in baseball as opposed to other sports? Well, you know, I think that responsibility, you know, kind of falls on the legacy of the players. And what I mean by is, you know, the CC Sabathias, the Curtis Bradersons, the Edwin Jackson. There's a lot of people that are putting their boots on the ground to be in communities of, of, of black and brown people, you know, just explaining the joy of the game. You know, I'm part of a, a group called the Players Alliance and it's headed by those guys. And they've done a phenomenal job of just going around the country, giving giving gloves, giving bats. Baseball is very expensive. You know what I mean? That TPX back back can 99 was $280. My mom was like, you got one thing under the Christmas tree and that's that TPX bat. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, you, you have to take that into consideration, especially nowadays, you know, times are harder, harder for people. So, you know, I mean, to, to buy that $200 glove, to get that bat, that's tough. So there's a lot of people that are uh, in the community that really deserve their flowers, but major league baseball, I think they're trying hard to be in the uptick, be more um, presentable of this, you know, the Mookie Betts is of the game and say, hey, you you have representation and you can play this game at a high level. But like you said, it's the same thing with Mike Trout, though, being a white player. I mean, there's some areas in, in Los Angeles he can walk by and no one bothers him. You know, that's a problem. So I think just the promotion of the game itself, they can do a little bit better. Now, I can't do anything about that, but uh, – you know, I, I try to go out there and shed light on the game and, and tell everybody, especially, you know, people of my color, that it's a great game to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think one of the big things with that, too, is is because college baseball, the scholarship situation, like why play baseball and still graduate in student loan debt when right. you can go play a different sport where there's full rides. So for you after that, how does how does life change just as an athlete, as a professional athlete after you hit arbitration as a baseball player? What is that once you get to that point, you've you've gotten there and you've stayed. How does that change your life moving forward? Uh, it 
honestly, it, it, it really didn't. This more people ask me for stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it really, you know, and listen, my, my friends can tell you, uh, my, my childhood friends and guys I play with professionally, I've always been the same. I, I, I take a lot of pride of treating people how I want to be treated. Like, I never, I never really got tried to get too gassed up in that. I, I bought some ridiculous ass chains that I don't need now and I never wear because I don't go anywhere. You just learn. You learn about things like that. You know, one of my best friends, Justin Upton, I remember he just, he bought this ridiculous house and now he's like, man, I don't need all that. I got, you know, touch screens in the walls. They're dirty because I'm touching them with dip and barbecue. It's just, it's just, you just learn, you learn, you grow up and you mature, you know, you, you make mistakes and you learn from those things. But no, I, I, it, it really, it really didn't change. I mean, as far as the responsibility of being a captain and a leader, that's one thing I, I cared about more so than that. This really gravitating to the locker room and, and really getting these guys to try to play the best baseball. I was more concerned about will these guys follow me now that, that I'm thrusting in the leadership form. But as far as off the field, just you know, more money, more problems. But you know, it was all a blessing. It was really all a blessing. I wouldn't change it for the world. So there's 30 big league cities. I'm sure they all have their pros and cons. Mm -hmm. How did you take the news moving from Miami to Detroit? It was crazy because this is a true story. I'm in Mexico and Cabo and I see my face, but I can't understand what the hell they're saying. This is a true story. This is a true story. I was with Josh Hamilton, a bunch of big leaguers, and, and my agent at the time took us on a trip to Cabo, a bunch of players. And so I'm looking and my agent's on the phone and this is, I swear I can't make this up. Like I'm looking at the sports thing and I see my face and I'm thinking I'm drunk because I'm like, why am I seeing my face on this, you know, this Spanish news channel? Like, and next thing I know, I'm me and Miguel are being traded. And it was just surreal. It was surreal. But I did tell <laughs> those guys in Detroit, I'm not getting off this beach until four or five days from now. So I'll be in Detroit and I'll be in that snow. But uh, no, nah, it, it was it was surreal. And they had a good team. Uh, Justin Verlander is a Hall of Famer, you know, great teammates, you know, what I mean, guys like that. So we were just excited. Um, and again, it just brought back that feeling of when I got traded from the Cubs to the Marlins, like, oh, man, this, this is really going to happen. And this is this is the part of the business that you know you can't control but if I had a choice I, I would love to stay with the team that that gave me a chance you know and, and but it's a weird thing I think that was kind of the era where now you see guys great players change teams and it's okay you see Max Scherzer on his fourth team I believe now signing with the Mets and you know he's a Hall of Famer but you know I kind of wanted to be that Tony Gwynn type where I just stayed at that one place for a very long time Especially when that place has a nice beach. You know, that helps. That that helps. And, and I love Detroit to the death, and I, and I love the snow, but that snow gets a little tough to throw in sometimes. Yeah, well, speaking of so Detroit, obviously things on the field don't look like Miami. When did, when did physically things start to not feel right, and how is it mentally kind of just trying to grind through that? I think it was more of a mental thing because, like, I, I, I get traded over here. I, I want to be a factor, and it just – Everything I did went to shit. excuse my language, but everything I did and and the 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 way I know how to work is like maybe I'm not working hard enough. I got to work harder. I got to work harder. And really, it was a lesson of working smarter. Now that I play golf, that's the lesson that you learn. You have to be smooth. It's not just you know hammering away because it was almost like I felt like I was in quicksand. It, it, you know, the harder I fought the worst the worst it got and and listen the team's being competitive and they're trying to get into the postseason so when you turn into a liability i don't care what sport you're in you know what industry you're in 
now now it's a problem so you know it, it this you know and then i developed the yips and then it really just started to really just you know stockpile so i think it was more of a just a mental thing of just learning how to downshift and, and back off and just let the game come to you following that time in detroit again like you said to go through the yips go through those injuries just results on the field that are, are not what you were in miami you latch on with arizona cincinnati you know split time between triple a yeah. and the big leagues when you're on the mound with the Reds, you're in about 70 innings with the Reds, do you have the same confidence the 2005 guy had, even if not the same stuff, or are you just kind of like missing the peak of your powers? No, huge, huge. Um, I have a great deal of love and appreciation for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Walt Jockety, uh, Jockety, I'm sorry, uh, uh, he, he, he really put his arm around me. Dusty Baker was there. Uh, and they said, you know, we're going to give you a chance. But the, the, the line that they told me, which was really rejuvenating, was it's like, man, we just want you to be yourself, man. Like, I, I, I think as an athlete, you know, even even when you're a fan of the guy, you can see somebody really grinding and really wanting it. You know what I mean? And so, you know, uh, got a chance, got an invite to big league camp, uh, didn't pitch well at the end. So they told me, Hey, we want you to be a starter in triple a. Cause I was re- trying to win a job relieving, never relieved before hate being in the bullpen. It's a different monster. Everybody in that bullpen's insane, by the way, <laughs> that, that <laughs> down there. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and I took it as an opportunity to really work hard and refine my, my mechanics and really just learn how to love the game again. Because at that time, I didn't love baseball at all. I was just doing it because it was just, you know, something I had to do or something. I I don't know the reason why, but I really appreciate the Reds giving me opportunity because they really put the love back into my game. So when I got called up, it, you know, I was more proud of myself being, being able to overcome the yips, being able to compete well. Uh, you know, help guys like Aroldis Chapman, who's going to be a Hall of Famer, you know what I mean? Uh, Cueto, Volquez, you know, they're all under my wing learning from me, but also pushing pushing me to work hard and be the elder statesman. So it, I love my year in Cincinnati. I really appreciate it. They just didn't hit for me in the big leagues, you know what I mean? So I give Brandon Phillips and Joey Votto crap every time I hear from them. But uh, no, the, the Reds are a first-class organization. And I really appreciate them. If, if you come all the way back, why go Why go pitch for the Long Island Ducks? Like at that point, you've, right. you've banked what you've banked. What do you have to prove by going to play any ball? <sighs> That's a great question. I don't know. Like I just <laughs> That's a great question. Um the obviously the love of the game. The the love of the love and appreciation of the game and you got to love it when you're in Camden, New Jersey, you know, pitching. You got and no disrespect to Camden, New Jersey, the city, but it's this, you know, it's it, it's a level where everybody wants to get out of there. You know, I mean, they want to use it as a jump start, but the fans loved it. Like the fans love having me there. I saw Willis jerseys at the uh, mall in Long Island and, and you got to understand Long Island's really a long way where where the stadium is. It's a long way from Yankee Stadium, so these people, like, you know, they really come out. So we would average anywhere from nine to nine to 10,000 people. So just seeing the joy and us playing well and, and battling and scrapping and, you know, me buying spreads every other night and stuff like that. It was just, it was, just, it was the minor leagues again, but it was, it was the joy of baseball. But, hey, you know, that's a great question. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. What made the final decision as far as, okay, time to, time to hang it up, time to take up golf? I was in big league camp with the Brewers. I worked my tail off to even get signed uh, uh, with the Brewers. And I run in my poles. I was hurt the whole time. Something was going on with my shoulder or my neck, and I'm trying to battle. And I run my poles, and I see Knable and uh, was it Williams throwing? 
And these guys are low A ball guys at the time. Uh, you know, so uh, crazy thing. I, I drove back up to 17 feeling fulfilled. And I just said, you know, I, I told my family, I, I think this is enough. I, I think I put enough time in the game. I think I left my mark in the game, you know, and, and I'm proud of myself. I, I, I don't owe anybody else anything. You know what I mean? Like, so but once I, I saw Williams and Canable throwing, it was like tr- train. Uh, you don't have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a chance and that's okay you know that that's okay you know like like a money ball like whether you're 18 or 40 you know the the billy bean line somebody's going to tell you that you can't play this game anymore so uh it was emotional that next day you know um but uh it it was a hell of a ride and uh, i i appreciate all the friendships i made all all the ups and downs you know being able to be a world series champion you know you 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 look back at that and say you, you did all right you know from being from a kid from alameda you did all right so if you could give a pep talk to your 18 year old self right after signing what would you tell that kid enjoy it all enjoy it like that's the only regret I look back on is that I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I should, even though I, I'm kind of known for being a smiley guy and always, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have because it went like that, you know, and that's the one thing I'm a special assistant for the Dodgers. And I tell guys, man, enjoy all of this, man. Like, you know what I mean? This is, this is such a cool life, man. And, and the game goes in and out just like that. And so Enjoy competing. Enjoy being around your teammates, man. Enjoy seeing your name on the back of a jersey, man, because it's not just about you. It's about your family and the legacy uh, that you can leave. So, you know, I'm very proud that uh, my daughters run around and uh, my soccer daughter, she's called B-Train, you know, by everybody and stuff like that. So it's just cool, man. It's just cool that uh, I left a mark. But just enjoy every single moment, man, because you never know when God's going to call us home. I got a quick rapid fire for you, and then we'll let you get to that tea time. All right. Favorite big league ballpark? Oh, all of them, because it's a show. <laughs> all of them. Oh, the nachos are better in the show, trust me. All of them. Did you play in any minor league ballparks that were better than Pro Player Stadium? Hey, put some respect on Pro Player, all right? Put some respect <laughs> on that, all right? That that was our home. Man, Shark, whatever the hell, Joe Robbie, I don't care what you want to call it. That was our home, baby. Nah, put some respect on it. No chance. No chance at all. Best hitter you ever faced? <sighs> I want to say Barry, Albert, and it, those two guys, man. Barry and Albert are neck and neck, though. Very, yeah, they're neck and neck. That's tough. You can't, you can't maybe do that. You can't maybe choose that. Best pitcher you ever face? Oh man, oh, I want to say Roger, but Pedro was nasty. Oh man, <laughs> and he Pedro. had that he had that changeup going away oh, from you as a lefty Pedro too. Pedro was nasty, man. Roy Oswald, that's a that's a great question because in my heyday when I was an ace, I faced everyone's number one, so I saw everybody's firsthand stuff. That's a tough one, but Pedro was pretty damn good. Favorite dinger, favorite big league dinger that I gave up or that I hit. That you hit. Whoo! I went second. Oh no, I went second deck in Houston. That was pretty cool, but uh. Hit a grand slam in Shea and this off thing Lima here. time. Oh God rest his soul. I love Lima. God rest his soul. He was a wonderful man. But yeah, I I I pretty much put a nail in uh, in Lima right there, hitting that grand slam. But hearing the boos in New York is a different type of boo in New York than anywhere in the country. Last question: Ask everybody this. Do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues? <laughs> Oh my God! Um, 
Uh, <laughs> listen, they're 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 all challenging. Let me just say that they're all very challenging. Um, in AAA, I always like taking the team bus, and we all had these air mattresses. I, I don't know where we were in West Virginia, but it rained, so everyone got food, but then walked over the air mattresses. So they're wet air mattresses, literally rolling around. And I'm in AAA, and I'm thinking to myself. You know, I, I made a good living. You know, I don't need to do this <laughs> right now from from Louisville, Kentucky, all the way to Norfolk, Virginia. That's our that's our route. So, yeah, that that was a soggy ride. But nevertheless, we played well. That's when you start looking at flights to go home. Uh, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you know, the I mean, Chick-fil-A does not sound so bad right now with the kids. But no, uh, you got to keep pushing. Dontre Willis, that's all I've got for you. Thanks so much for joining Phenom of the Farm. Hit him straight. No problem, man. Appreciate you having me. Take care, brother. Awesome. Take it easy. And that is it for our episode with Dontro Willis. Huge thanks to Dontro for taking the time. If you enjoyed this one, remember subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate and leave a review. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.